cool. What are we on about? What were you on about? Ricky Gervais and Russell Brand. Ricky and, Ricky and Russell. <coughs> Gas lights. Let's get into it, dog. Russell Brand is a legend. He's a legend. The truest thing is unreal, man. What, what was the last one I saw? Oh, yeah, it was about David Cameron and... What was he on about? Basically, it's like prepping to go to war again. And he's like, oh, oh my main priority is to protect... Him. Yeah, to protect British people. And Russell Brand was like... No, your main priority is to say Prime Minister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you say anything else, you're low. You're, yeah, the, st- the top of a slippery oh, pole. I'm going to close that window because there'll be noise coming in. Oh, I was laughing my ass off the other day at... Um, myself and Root stayed up and watched a few a few of the Trues episodes. And one of them was... You know that guy from Fox News that he's kind of having a oh, man, tit for tat with? Yeah. What's that guy's name? I can't think of his name. Oh, that was yeah. silent there, really. I'll turn it off. But, man, it's so funny. He's, do you know the way he'll, your man will say something? The guy with the guy and Fox News says, and he'll stop back. it, yeah, and then yeah, he'll go, yeah. look what he's actually doing here. And he was talking about the, you know the case in the States where the kid was shot? Yeah. What's that case? My head has gone to the dogs. Oh, it was in Missouri, wasn't it? Yeah, where they like, you know, it's all, you know, it's brought up the whole racial profile in America. You know, in a black community, a young fella gets killed mm. by a cop. He's got two bullets in his head and one in his chest, and he's 30 yards away from the car. You know? Mm. So they're like, he shot him. He couldn't have been... He was self... They're claiming self-defense. They're like, it couldn't have been self-defense. He was 30 yards from the he car. He was 30 yards from the car when he got I, shot. I didn't even read it. And like, the, the woman was like... Uh, you know, he was 30 yards away, so it, it, it has to have been... Uh, it couldn't have been self-defense. And then, then the guy goes... The Fox interview goes, oh, yeah, but you know, he was, you know, clearly from the, what we know is that he was charging the police down and then Russell Brand stops him. He's like, he's, you can see how he's running out of steam and yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the Fox guy's just making stuff up, like just desperately trying to claw back any kind of uh, bit of an argument that he might have. And he's saying things like, uh, and Russell Brand cuts in, he's like, oh, maybe, maybe he turned, he became a rhino and he just started charging. You had to shoot him. <laughs> That's so funny. Did you see the one, the Israeli one? They had a guy who was like, everyone on the panel was purely pro-Israel, bar one guy. And oh, then, is this on Fox News? On Fox News. And then... But like, Russell Brand did a thing, a Trues episode about it or something, and man, there was one guy who was like, you know, like, who was not pro-Gaza yeah, or pro-Israel, but he was kind of being like, okay, let's, let's look at the facts here. Let's look at it fucking objectively. And mm. He wasn't supposed to do that on the show, so he basically yeah. just destroyed your man they almost crucified him they did yeah and you hear the way they even called like they or they said like Russell Brand to get something into his thick head no this is Fox oh no what did they say D-rated celebrity Russell Brand famous for his failed marriage to Katy Perry yeah that was it and and they go on about for about I'd say there must be the bones of 10 minutes on like the news as Russell Brand keeps saying this is the news oh, there yeah. this is like 6 o'clock news you know when you sit down and eat your dinner at 6 o'clock it's this the news it's 10 minutes of Russell Brand bashing yeah. and it has no, no bearing on the news whatsoever it's just trying to distra- like he's like I'm just one lad with a friend of mine who we filmed these clips mm. and because we're like this is just, that's all it's just two people mm. like know, and yeah, Fox yeah. News are given it 10 minutes to bash him like but you just were, goes to show. But did you ever watch the news in the states? Like, oh, it's shocking. so, it's so trivial. It's like it's either the totally biggest story. It's either, like, it's either nothing at all. Yeah. Or it's like they the last basically. couple of minutes to maybe 
a cat who got stuck in a tree or yeah. a fucking this squirrel can water ski yeah, yeah. <laughs> Australia's the same good old anchor man Australia's the exact same it's like Is Australian it? news Bondi Beach Rescue and that's it the Prime Minister said this today that's it there's no news outside of Australia so yeah, it might be a, the odd reference but they don't really get into it. It's cool to see him putting himself out there, Russell Brand, man. He's, he's like, brilliant, man. He's really putting himself out he's there. He's really smart as well. Yeah. He's really courageous. Yeah. And it was a lasting impression on me. Yeah. And it was until you said to look at the trues. Yeah. And then I saw the rubber bandits link into it. I started looking at him and I was like, well, hang on a minute. Oh, this man. guy, this is not yeah. what I had perceived the guy to be. And Ruth was the same. So then I went, I, it's I, I know, reevaluate it's what happened. It's very easy to go, oh, Russell Brand, he's, you know, you can very easy to go, dismiss him. Yeah, but, but I, I think primarily it. because of that, for me, it was because of that. Mm. And then I, I, had a, I had to have a rethink about it because I was like, they must have pissed him off before he went on that show with Graham Norton because he's just a dickhead on it. And I reckon like, it must have been the background producers or something just must have said something to be like, look, Russell, we want you to say this and we want you to stick to this. And if you're coming on, you've got to, you know, it has to be happy, clappy celebrity. Yeah. And I'd say he just went, fuck you. I think, I think he, re- I, I, when I saw that show, because I knew a bit about him beforehand. Yeah, get a glass of water. Um, I knew a bit of, I'd seen a lot of his stuff prior to that, you know. Okay. And I was kind of going, immediately when I saw that show, I was like, he kind of sees it for what it is. And it's not a bad thing. The great no, no, show is no, enjoyable. It's happy, clappy. Like, it's, fun. It's, it's, fun. It's, it's just not very real. I think he's just... Yeah, but I, I have a feeling that, like they have a fairly strict agenda about like what they want to put across, and yeah. it definitely isn't. There isn't supposed to be a political message, which he's all about, you know. And I'd say he probably got a ball of money, probably. but then they were like, "Okay, if you're going to be on this show, you can't. You have to stay inside these these rules. These are rules, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that doesn't suit him. No, because he was at. He's I looked sharper. at. I looked at um, a clip he had from. Uh, uh, he showed he showed a, um, an article he wrote I think in the Guardian about getting in trouble at the GQ awards yeah. last year where Hugo Boss and GQ had teamed up yeah. uh, as part of the awards like every celebrity is there it's very yeah, much yeah, like backstabbing yeah, yeah, nonsense yeah, yeah, like yeah. Noel Gallagher was the at the table with him veneer. oh total bullshit altogether yeah. like but anyway like <laughs> Brand stood up and he got some stupid award and he stood up and he said isn't it ironic that, like, oh, I can't remember the details of it, but he basically said, like, Hugo Boss, you know, is still trading under the same name that it used to trade in when it supplied Nazi Germany with uniforms. Yeah. So basically they're Nazis, yeah. right? And he kind of said that. And I think he got escorted out of the party. Really? More or less, yeah. Is that afraid of... I mean, that was punches? ballsy to say that. And like he said, it, it actually divided the crowd. Yeah. Some, some people started laughing. Other people, there was a stone-cold silence. They were like, that is not appropriate. You know what I mean? Man, um, like, don't, don't like what the comedian has to say. But apparently then, somebody else came up and had a go at, at Russell Brand for having said what he said. Mm. And people started booing that guy. Really? Including Noel Gallagher, who was at Russell Brand's <laughs> table. Actually booing. He said people booing at, a, at a, an award ceremony. Like oh, he said, brilliant. He really... That's probably you know, one of the best ones they Shook up the years. hornet's nest, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to have been there. Can you imagine the tension? But you know, you made a great point as well about um, Syria and why... This, is, it, is it Syria where the states are getting involved? Mm. And basically, there's colossal um, uh, oil and gas reserves in there. Yeah. And one of the companies that's involved in it, Rupert Murdoch has major shares in. Really? So... Fox News is Rupert Murdoch, like it's he owns it. So Fox News is supporting, you know, 
the, the, the political side of what's gone on there because, because of course it is because Rupert Murdoch wants to get in there to get out the oil yeah. it's so obvious it's like ridiculous it's a private news organisation it's not the public news but it's, it's not the BBC yeah. it's not RTE do you know it's not like yeah, it's, own it's not the state even though look if you have the state it still has an agenda mm. but Rupert, Rupert Murdoch is like a multi-billionaire mm. with a truckload of money who just wants more money and yeah. if you can cl- control the media you can control yeah, what people think and you know it, and in the States it's, it's septic in America yeah, yeah. how much they control what people think and I, I always had they hope. don't get at the news they don't hear it I always had a hope kind of for RTE news I thought RTE news was fairly clear and mm. liberal you know and I thought but then I saw Brian Dobson on it and they had hey don't knock Dabo no Dabo but they had man <laughs> I was like I was kind of taken aback they had the the ambassador for for Palestine you know the Irish the Palestine ambassador to Ireland yeah and man, he was just. Dobson have a go at him. Really harsh to him, you know. He wasn't yeah. like. Did he bring on the Israeli one after? No, Israeli ambassador no, after. But he was just really. It was. It was more. Atta- it was like borderline attack, you know. Yeah. Okay. And they're kind of safely attacking him, I suppose. But that's funny though, because this. Um, I'd say maybe I, that's what they're meant to do. Maybe they're like, okay, let's adopt. A, what's your man's name from? In the UK, Paxman, you know, he's not a very... No, he's, he's quite, he'll go hammer yeah, tongs, he'll go straight tongs. But yeah. Ireland has taken a, a stronger anti-Israeli approach than any other country in the world. Yeah, well, on the streets, politically, they haven't, like... No, but in in the newspapers, in the media, yeah, yeah, yeah. Irish people are like, fuck that, it's, yeah. not, it's crazy, like, what's going on there? But there was some football club, I think, got in trouble recently for flying a, a Palestine flag. Was that was in England, wasn't it? I think it was in Ireland, man. Was it? it? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was like Shamrock Rovers. Shamrock Rovers, yeah. They're same colours, so they without yeah. thinking about it, they're just flying the flag and they made them take it down. They find the club. Yeah, they find the club. <laughs> the guy's probably been bringing that flag around for <laughs> yeah, yeah, 40 yeah. years. Like. Shawnee, Doesn't even know what it is. Shawnee's flag. Shawnee. They're Shawnee with the Palestine flag. Covers his bed now. <laughs> he has no yeah, agenda. Man. Russell Brand's a good guy. Russell Brand? Let's get on to you, Tony. On to me, Tony. You've had it. Not literally, I hope. Because <laughs> no. you're a lot bigger than I am. <laughs> I was thinking, man, we've known each other for 25 years. Oh, my God. I know. Go. I was thinking about that today. Have we? 25 years. Yeah, man. We, we started, still have made love. <laughs> we started school when we were 12, and I still haven't got rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's mad. There is a circle of friends that are still... That, like, I was in the same class as you, John and Aidan, and we're still yeah. hanging around within three miles of each other in Cork City. It's bananas. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. 25 years. But I was like, that's a big chunk of time, you know? A lot can happen in 25 years. A lot has happened yeah, in 25 years. Here you We've are. We've gotten mostly older. Cork kinesiology. <laughs> I did that. You yeah. have an interesting old um, path to it. I was thinking about you this morning. I was like, Don't I just... you were an archaeologist turned recruitment, turned alternative therapies, therapists in the guise of kinesiology. Mm. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting road. Yeah, it's been a bit of a pathway, all right. I've been trying to figure it out for years, though. Yeah. And I think I was talking to somebody recently about it, and they, it was it was nice to hear it. They said that it's it's kind of uh, and deep sea diving <laughs> and commercial diving. I don't know really how that fits in. I don't know. <laughs> Other than that, I'm really but it's deep, in there. Obviously, like, I'm no. deep. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, someone someone that came to me for a, a session, and then we just had a general conversation about like what's going on in terms of the Irish psyche at the moment, mm. especially for men our age, like, yeah, you know, yeah. the now kind of pillars of uh, society. society. Yeah, we are, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's, it's funny. We're the guys who are supposed to know it all. You never think of yourself, you're <laughs> like, 
you know, you read about a 36-year-old man who's doing blah, 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 blah in the news and you're like, oh yeah, that guy must be pretty, pretty serious now because he's 36. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, I'm that guy. He'll <laughs> never be serious. Yeah, no, no, hopefully not. But at the same time, you kind of want I'm, to be I'm taking what I'm doing now very, very seriously. Yeah, yeah. Which is brilliant, you know, that's a big change because I was trying to get to that point for it's pretty a much since we were time. in school, yeah, you know. Man. And all the stuff that I was doing was... Well, I, I can see it now and without sounding sort of like a, a philosophical hippie, it did get me to where I wanted to be, but it took a long time and it was a it was a tough road. When you don't know what you are supposed to do and if it's really if you really feel like you you need to be doing something specific or if you think there's a vocation for you. And I actually think there's a vocation for everybody. Yeah. And if you're not doing it uh and the further you are away from it, mm. the harder it is to live. Okay. I'm sure of that, like, yeah. because for me, I was doing a job that wasn't all that far from a lot of the, a lot of the values that I had, mm. were were met by doing some of the work. Like archaeology is, you know, it's in the arts category. Yeah, it's sort of on a philosophical level. It's about academia, kind of. It's on no, it's not no. the academia. It doesn't interest me. It's mm. it, because academia serves academia. Mm. Do you know what I was interested in with kinesi- with, with archaeology was that. You can make discoveries. You can dig up stuff in the ground, mm. make a discovery that actually changes how we perceive our past. Yeah, yeah. And if you and even the fact that you're looking at the past in prehistoric times or in you know whatever time length it is. For me, it was about prehistoric times because we knew very little about it. I was trying to understand what have we been like throughout prehistory and history yeah. not just history but just prehistory have we ever had a different type of civilization because I suppose ultimately I was unhappy about the civilization I was in and I kind of wanted to know was there ever a time when there was a better one okay that's what it drew me into so it was more than just oh yeah I'll just do archaeology as a job you actually oh no a, no no I don't think very many people do that I wouldn't yeah. say that anybody that goes into archaeology does it for a job but like say they have beca- some kind of a draw or a hook it kind of became a little bit like that like I ended up on an archaeology dig and like, I yeah, but that, you've got to think about it this way, though. That was during the Celtic, the Celtic Tiger, Tiger boom. Yeah. And if you did, if you wanted to do any job for that a while... That was just like a little glitch in the, yeah, the yeah. path of our But there, there was tons of work in it. It's a fun job. It's mm. fascinating. Good and if people. You, great people. Yeah. And if you have, if you have that kind of... Um, if you have that type of brain that needs to see the bigger picture, yeah. or you want to put yourself in context, or you want to understand... You know the the sort of way of the world and in, in as, as big a dimension as you can. Like archaeology is a good window mm. because it's like wow. Look, I mean, you you can look at civilizations going back to however far you want, even in Ireland, mm. and it's mind blowing what you can discover. Mm. And and I think one of the things for me was that I got hooked in archaeology. Probably loads of people did, but the first excavation I was on, we found the oldest. I think it was yeah, it was the oldest building. Or it was the oldest Neolithic structure in the southwest of Ireland. Mm. I think at the time it was possibly the oldest house in Ireland ever. Where was this? It was in Tralee. Oh, really? And it was during <laughs> when Tralee was the fastest growing town in Europe. Yeah, and that was the hook because like that's what hooked me. We, I, I was lucky enough to work on an excavation where we found a building that had a date of it was five thousand seven hundred and fifty years old. That's give or take a year or two isn't it bananas Har- you told me we were just talking about 25 years you know yeah they've pinned it down and like no f- like that's a big chunk of time that's a big chunk of time that's Five totally time. it's kind of near it's sort of inconceivable yeah. at the time you know it's hard to, you can't really go back that far like if you think about this right if you go back 
to your father's generation, right? Mm. So they would have been, your, your dad's generation would have been our age 30 years ago, 40 mm. years ago. Mm. Mm. So you go back a few generations, right? So you, you can think about your granddad and you can think about his father. Mm. And you can put that in real time for yourself, you know? Mm. And so it's not that hard to put yourself into the famine times in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. you can actually go back there and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's realistic enough because my yeah. granddad, my, like my granddad was born in the 1890s. Mm. You know, that's not, that's ages ago, but like I remember him. He's, he was around, so it's not that far ago. Yeah. But his dad then would have been kicking around in the 1850s, which is, so it means that his father was alive and well during the famine. Yeah. Which is mad, you know, that's not that long ago. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not long ago at all. It's like three, two degrees of separation almost. So you can do that. Mm. So you can get yourself back to 1850, which seems like ages ago, but it's not. Mm. But then you go, okay, 5,750 years ago? We don't yeah, know. It's, it's People were farming. That's all we really know. You know, and then you, you know as well, okay, obviously. They were what age was this? You know, like... The Neolithic, the, the New Stone Age. It's, okay. the, it's, the, it's the beginning of farming in the country. And it came in from Europe somewhere, okay. either England or Europe. And basically, there was a sort of a, you know, standard of a house that they built. You know, that, and you can yeah. track that building from Europe. The CMED. The classic CMED. <laughs> three bed. Yeah, little three bit bed of lawn CMED. Out the back. Yeah, nice little garden shed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Lawnmower in the shed, it's all there. And uh, yeah, so you can trace that. It was, it was cool, you know, because the following year I went to college and I went back to college because it was on a break from second year that I went on that dig. Yeah. Back in, into... Uh, third year then the the person who was teaching us the lecturer who was teaching us uh, animal bone analysis mentioned our site but specifically mentioned uh, sheep bones and uh, sheep and bone jaw bones sheep and goat jaw bones that were found in a pit that I excavated so she was lecturing about the stuff that I dug out of the ground and I was like, this is bananas. You this is so new. Like, this is just part pop. of history. So I went up to her, like, cheeky young fellow. I went, oh, listen, if you have any questions about that, I can tell you whatever you need. <laughs> you might not know. I found it. Huh? In the archaeology world, I'm quite a big deal right now. <laughs> I'm quite a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it was mad. So it was an obvious thing to stay involved in then. Because you were like, this is really, ha- this is happening at an awful rate. There was so much archaeology being found. It was just astounding. And I was interested in the Stone Age. I was interested I in that's the that's where you might get you hooked as well you know one good site anybody would have been interested yeah, in that yeah. anybody that excavated some of the things that we found earlier like I excavated the following year I excavated uh, there was a I was running an excavation with where we found f- uh, f- uh, basically a, uh, an early Bronze Age village next door to where that house was there was another settlement and the Bronze Age would have been it was next phase down no but in terms of how many years ago oh it's oh it, we'll say it's like a roughly six or seven hundred years after okay that site, maybe 4,600 years ago. I can't remember the date specifically for that site, but it's a long time. Still a big chunk of time. It's still a big chunk of time. Mm. But, like, we excavated a pit, and in that pit, so there was a cremation burial, right? So mm. they dug a hole in the ground about the size of a bucket, and they put in a, a cremation urn, and then that was filled up with, uh, you know, the cremated remains of human body. Mm. Next to that, they, built, they dug a pit and sunk in the pit an offering. And that offering hadn't been touched for the duration since it was buried, and I excavated it. And it was like sealed. It was it was a hole in the ground that was dug, and it was basically like the size of a, the depth of a bucket, right? That was the hole in the ground. This is the, the the offering pit. It was sealed in kind of baked clay at the top, so you remove the baked clay layer, and then you get all this earth. that's like, but it was packed with burnt seeds. Okay. And you're digging away at this, and you're like, this is weird earth. And you're like, hang on, there's a load of seeds in this. And as as the as I was excavating the seeds, this like flash of green just appeared. I was like, what is that? 
and very, very carefully started excavating it away the earth around and found something else that was really shiny and kind of white. And it was a it turned out to be a polished greenstone axe that had never been used for anything. It was it was purely ornamental. Straight Very, off the shelf. And and uh, and the other thing was a, a granite hammer stone, which was never used either. And they were just offerings. Good lord, look what I just found. You know, it's mind blowing. Mad, dude. Mind blowing. It was my unbelievable. Like you couldn't you couldn't You're definitely gonna be hooked in. Yeah, like so I mean, you know, even being on that site then, that site went on for maybe six months, and it was in the middle of the summer. You're there with the shirt off, mm. excavating this kind of stuff. And even just being there, yeah. knowing that that had been found and finding extra stuff, like the house structures, yeah, there was yeah. four circular buildings associated with this stuff. You're like, Plus you what was going on here? Like, What, what was happening? What you know? else could I find? You know? That's it. Yeah. Like, you find, If you find anything on the ground then that's archaeological, you're like, oh my, there could be anything in here. There could be anything in there. Almost like a little gold rush. So that's, yeah, that is. And that's the hook. Because I remember seeing, like, you know, Dara was, he dug a hole in the ground once about the, do you know, it was probably at least half the size of a car with a spoon, you know? If you told a person to dig a hole in the ground that size with a spoon, they'll tell you where to go. That's prison. But the hook, is, right like, the hook yeah. is there. You're like, oh, there could be something in here. There could be yeah. something in here. And like, he found stuff, but, it, you know, <laughs> Didn't not to justify digging a hole that size with a spoon. Like. So that was my archaeology. Yeah, no, you're corkkinesiology.com. No, I'm that. What is it, Tony? What First is all, kinesiology? Maybe, I want to touch as well on, you know, okay, what the carcinesiology thing, what it is, but also we, we might touch on, do you know the way there's a bit of state help in setting up the business? That might be a nice way of kind of oh, yeah. just letting, if anyone wants to listen to it, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that this is out there, that you can get help Oh, up yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, Ireland has been an amazing place. Mm. Like, when I got back, so basically, I had to come home kind of quickly from Australia because mm. it was a, a family thing. Mm. And we came back quickly. So I was kind of left with a choice of whether to go into, uh, you know, just get a job and get back into the workforce, which is grand, which I did kind of in piecemeal for a while. Yeah, yeah. But then I thought, look, I really want to do this, like, and it's time to kind of get started and doing something that and I actually want to do. Oh, sparked a lot of you, wasn't it? Like kinesiology in Australia was a lot Yeah, so my first that. encounter with, with kinesiology was in Australia in 2009, mm. and I met... Uh, a woman there called Nilva Van Ziel and she blew me away. I'd never come across anything like mm. it in my life. And I'd gone through, at that stage, I'd done quite a few therapies for myself and mm. for various different things. Back pain, various mental health issues, <laughs> which I'm now cured of. Uh, or are sort you, of. Are you really? No, I'm not. <laughs> I have a long way to go. Here I am talking to you. I couldn't be right. No, but basically then, so that, like I got hooked on that. I was like, this is, this is really, really profound. Something profound there's something really happening here because I've done I suppose to give you a background of what I do and how I got into this stuff like I've done a lot of meditation right Mm -hmm. and I've done about and I got into it through martial arts while I was living in Tralee I met this amazing dude uh, who's done it was a background in Kung Fu and got into um, meditation by trying to break down his violence actually a bit like Jeff Thompson only he's more he's calmer than Jeff but um He's a fantastic fella, and he he was showing us at the time how to how to do tai chi properly. Yeah. And because tai chi done properly, it's basically it's kung fu slowed down. Mm. Um. And so you practice that, and then you get into the meditation. And I got into the meditation, and I got hooked on the meditation. Mm. Not hooked, I wouldn't say, because it's very hard to do. It just became part of your life. Like. It became a habit, and yeah. it hasn't it hasn't left me. And I, and 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 I didn't think too much about it in fact for ages I just did it because I knew that it made me feel a bit better yeah. so if I was feeling like you know if I wasn't feeling great I could I could leave it off an evening and go okay look I'll just I'll do, the, I'll do a bit of qigong exercises now and, and, and do a bit of meditation 
and I'd feel better. Standing meditation. So it was sort of, I find it hard. To, I think it, it's more, for me, it's more effective than just sitting there. It's like if you're standing meditation, you're allowing your body to actually actively relax as well, which, oh. is, which is very good for you. Plus, I suppose you're connected to the ground with your feet. You're very connected to the ground. Yeah, yeah. And it has, it's like, any, it's like any, any meditation exercise you do is good for you, like, but it's a process of, of continuing to do it. Okay. It builds it up. We'll just focus on the kinesiology thing mm, for a moment. Sorry, like, yeah. What, what exactly is it? I know you were saying before that it was set up by this guy, Charles Krebs. Yeah, yeah. Well, kinesiology came, it, it, it came out of advanced chiropractic, chiropractic techniques in the 1970s in America. Mm. A guy called um, George, Dr. George Goodhart, who's a chiropractor, made a few very interesting discoveries. And he's a very highly reputable uh, chiropractor for a start. And in, in America and in Australia, chiropractic, stu- chiropractic is a six-year, basically it's a medical it's degree. A medical degree yeah, it's yeah. a very, very serious discipline. So this guy had seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of clients mm. and started making these unusual, uh, spotted these unusual um, correlations, one of which, for example, the one that they use is people coming in with a, a weak uh, an upset stomach. Mm. Say they're coming in for chiropractic, they've got a weak pec yeah. muscle. Yeah, yeah. If you test the weak pec, there's a simple physical test for it. Yeah. But what he found was looking at, from looking at loads of people with a, with a weak pec, they often had a pain in their stomach or a stomach problem, okay. right? So what he found was that if you did a specific type of massage in the muscle, mm. it also corrected the pain in the stomach. And he thought, this is bananas. Like, how, what's going on here? Okay. So that's kind of where kinesiology started because he said, okay, we, we can't really say why this is related, but it's definitely related because he did it enough times and used other chiropractors to do the same checks. And he must have found like different muscles. So he said, this muscle relates to the stomach. stomach okay. And then he went down and checked other organs to see where they related to other muscles. And lo and behold, you get a map. So mm-hmm. you're like, for stomach, these muscles. For kidney, these muscles. For Was this completely new ground? Was oh, brand new. Yeah. Nothing to do no, with like no, acupuncture no, or acupressure? No, no, no. This is brand new, from, strictly from chiropractic studies. That's where it started. And uh, so then... Uh, around the same time there were other developments right mm. so what Goodhart did was was coordinate muscles to organs okay. so you're like stomach relates to these muscles then other people were like there are there are vascular points or blood points uh, they're sort of like pressure points and some of them are actually on where there are pressure points but they're like they're neurovascular points where if you hold them it stimulates blood flow mm. and strengthens again the pec, the, the pec muscle and cures the stomach. So these three are now related mm. and they map those in to the kidney and to other ones. But it's just by doing trials and errors and like, or trial and trial and trial and like, okay, where are there, are there points that I can hold on the head or on the chest or on the back that might allow this to improve? Yeah. And um, then, the, then another set of points called lymphatic points, like mm. from your lymph system, which are very, very sore to rub sometimes. I know. As you know. <laughs> yes. Very <laughs> Agonizingly sore. painful, Agonizing. yeah. And very little touch will really set them off. Yeah. You see, and then basically you go, okay, weak pec, test the lymphatic. It requires a lymphatic massage. Fix that, recheck the muscle, the muscle holds. So it's not necessarily a test of strength. It's a test of whether the muscle is happy in a, in a sort of a relaxed state to hold or not. Yeah. So if it's like you test the muscle, it's not like a, a massive push. You just push and you go, you check, you're, you're watching your client. You're like, you, you can see if it's comfortable or not for them to hold the muscle in, that, in a specific position. Mm. And if it's easy, then you can see, okay, this guy, it's easy for this person to hold okay. the muscle there. Yeah. And they know as well. And they know, you can see straight away if a person's recruiting because they start moving their body around to, yeah, to recruit yeah, different yeah, muscles yeah, to do yeah, the same yeah, job. Yeah. 
So you kind of have to talk to people about that. So what you do is you check a, you, you check a muscle and you go, all right, that muscle's out of whack. Mm. So then you go, okay, there are specific neurovascular points, neurolymphatic points, and uh, massage points mm. on the muscle itself to uh, rebalance that muscle's energy or rebalance that muscle's state. So the muscle is like a key to telling you okay, there's an issue with this. Yeah. There's an issue with this area. Yeah, or, or it's interrelated to other things. So you yeah. can say, look, if a guy... It's your first part of call, you go, okay, I'll test this muscle. Yeah, and, and it's, it's like a really good way of showing the person that, look, look, we'll check in your... Mu- you're complaining about a stomach problem. Mm. Your, this muscle is testing out of whack. And you can say to them from, from chiropractic studies, these two are related. So look, there you go, you have a weak pec. Mm. And so let's see if this will fix it. Okay. And you try mus- you massage the muscle. Does it fix the stomach problem? Recheck the muscle? Maybe not. Okay. Check the neurolymphatics. Does that and and then recheck? Does that hold it? Maybe not. The neurovasculars. Does that hold it? And you 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 recheck that, and then hopefully one of those one three of will fix the problem. That was kind of the start of it. Mm. Then what Goodhart did, which was a total uh, a step of pure genius, was to interrelate um, the Chinese meridian system into that system. Okay. So, you know that, like, we know from Chinese medicine that they, their view, because it's from a meditative background, they'll tell you that there are energy systems in the body. Each organ has a sort of an energy flow, a mm. pathway of energy that flows from that organ around your body to the next organ's pathway and the next organ's pathway around in a cycle mm. through 14 cycles, okay. right? Or 12 major ones, of four, there's two extra then for the for the uh, brain and central nervous system. But the main organs are 12, right? So there's 12 major organs. And uh, what they did was that they said, okay, no, in, let's, let's map the meridian system into this system. Okay. And... Uh, Total new ground. Oh, it just opened up so much more scope for yeah. what you could do because then you can, you, can, you, can, you can heal a stomach problem with acupuncture. Yeah. So if somebody's pec is out of whack, you can check the stomach meridian and the meridian will tell you that that whole system is out of whack. So you know that either, so, so you know that the problem is going to be, you can then check the problem. Is it going to be lymphatic? Is it going to be neurovascular? Is it going to be the muscle itself? Or is it going to be run the meridian or do acupuncture or mm-hmm. acupressure on it? So you've got an extra thing to give cool you more to see that they overlap as well. You kind of go, wait a minute. So yeah, it's not a coincidence. Yeah, You're like, whoa. Kind of and then you together. do, you like, you could, this is bananas. Cause like you run the meridian and you don't even touch a person's body. Mm. Like because if you flush a meridian, it goes. This is the pathway of the meridian. Mm. You kind of it's like in in kinesiology, you can kind of sort of put in a code to tell the body we're testing the meridian. Now you run the meridian, you recheck the muscle, and the muscle will hold. You haven't even touched. When the you say run the meridian, so the meridian so flows from. Let's say, imagine the, the meridian that flows from your pubic bone to the bottom of your lip. Okay. To your bottom lip, running upwards. That's your central vessel, your central meridian for the brain. Mm. If you check that. Um, and check the muscle. If you flush that mm. with your hand, just run it up and down, and then check the muscle for the bra- that 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 con- is if influences the brain. Yeah. If that's out of whack, it'll show. And then, if you need to do more of that flushing, and it and then run the meridian, which stimulates the the flow of energy through that meridian, and recheck the muscle, and it will lock. You've and you've done this. Yeah, like yeah, that's part of kinesiology. And you're not even touching someone. It's just no. You just go look. We'll just run the meridian there. Let's see if it fixes it. And it might not, but if it does, then that's all it needed. Yeah. And sometimes it's as simple as that. And it's completely extraordinary because we, like, we don't have a meditative background, so we can't really understand it because you can't see it. Yeah. But with kinesiology, it kind of gives you 
it allows you to see change in the sense that you check a muscle's state. Mm. It's not happy. You run the meridian and it locks. Mm. It's happy. Okay. So like something happened. I'm not sure what, but something definitely just happened. And that's where Goodhart that's mad, was it? able to make the leap because he was able to take that step forward and go, look, there's definitely something going on here. And, uh, you know, even though I'm a credible chiropractor, he stuck his neck out mm. because, you know, you're gone into pseudoscience. Because the back then, because back then, be a dirty uh, word. and back or, then, 20 years ago in Ireland, uh, um, acupuncture was witchcraft, maybe 30 years ago. So, I mean, America wouldn't be as dangerous a place to practice as an acupuncturist or to introduce acupuncture into the medical system. Because, I mean, chiropractic is pretty much medical in America, you know. That's the thing, I suppose. You know, a lot of these alternative therapies, they can be going, oh, look, oh, here we go again with an alternative therapy. But mm. would you hope that someday, it would, like, that the, the like Western medicine would go, actually, you know what? This is quite Well, it's happening. It's happening. Is it? Like, the guy, the guy, Charles Krebs then, right? So we run on from the evolution of kinesiology. Mm. So what happened after that was, that was what was, the 70s kind of started all that stuff. And then a whole lot of smart people came together and, added and added and added to the kinesiology so now what you so now where, where it got to not to get too bogged down in the history but what Charles Krebs is now doing is he's working with an associate professor of Harvard Medical School to get uh, scientific trials done on validating some of the kinesiology practices that he's developed mm. so that's going on now that's Harvard Med- Medical School that's as that's as legitimate as you can get yeah, in terms yeah, of medicine, yeah. medical background or medical backing so yeah, so Charles Krebs is a phenomenal character, and he put the course together that I did in Perth, and um, he he's basically a scientist who got into kinesiology from being badly injured. Yeah, what yeah, happened? So basically, he had a, dive, a really bad diving accident in yeah. Australia. He's American, and he has a marine. He's a PhD in marine biology and physiology. So he was lecturing in physiology, and he's he's really he's a really intelligent guy. He's pure academic. Okay, and so he's. His background is scientific research, right? So he was putting together a, a, an underwater, I suppose a marine survey or a marine department really for uh, the University of Melbourne. I think it was the University of Melbourne. Um, and what happened to him was during, his, during one of the a series of dives that he did, mm. he ended up getting the bends and it, it put him in a wheelchair. And the... The long, the, the short version of the long story that uh, about him and how he got into kinesiology was he tried, he just didn't accept that he should be in a wheelchair. He didn't want to be in a wheelchair. Who would? And you know? had, had like medicine or had they given up on him at this stage? Oh yeah, like, like I mean as far as, as far as the surgeons who worked on him, not the surgeons, but the doctors that worked on him at the time said, look, you know, nerves to the legs have been cut off. As good as you'll ever be. Yeah, and he, what he realised in hospital was that they were doing, when they were doing the physiotherapy and the rehab work on him, they were preparing him, for, preparing him for being in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Okay. And he just didn't want to be in a wheelchair. The fascinating thing about Krebs is that he's, he's, he's an extraordinary man. He has a photographic memory, okay. which is very unusual, right? And, but he also has, he just has phenomenal drive. So he did karate for years, right? And he said he used to be able to you know, he trained to break bricks with his hand. And he, make, he makes a comment in a YouTube video I showed you where he says, look, if you try to break b- bricks with, with your arm, with your hand, you're going to break your hand. So you're not, you're not using your hand, you're using chi, mm. which is what, you know, is energy, basically. You're, you're focusing energy and it's coming out through your hand and that's what breaks the brick. 
that's a very hard thing to get your head around but as a martial artist he was able to do it so what he did was he this is pretty this is extraordinary to be able to even think like this it kind of says a lot about the guy so he he was because he was a photographic memory and he taught physiology he's able to he was able to visualize the uh, neural pathways from the brain down into his legs okay. pathway by pathway from the brain down into the torso down into the leg and all the connective lines because he used to teach it oh, yeah, yeah. he used to teach it okay. and he's got a photographic memory so he could just knew where this pathway went mm. to the leg okay. and what he started to do was visualize it and then literally send chi with his intent down along that pathway and he did it for months but what, he, what, it ended up, what he ended up doing was he was able to focus on a muscle and focus on the specific neural pathway to that muscle. And for months and months and months, he just sent chi down that, that, that pathway. Okay. And f- after a while, he said, the first change was, the short version is, he got a muscle to move that shouldn't have been able to move. Okay. And he thought, okay, cool, I've got something going on here. This is brilliant. So then when he got that little bit of a success... He kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going and got another muscle to move and another muscle to move. And after a while, after I think nearly a year of, or six months to a year of doing this, he eventually got to the point where he was able to drag himself around on crutches. And it took about a year or two to get to that point. But that was extraordinary because he was being, he was told... Was he paralyzed from the waist down? From the waist down, okay. yeah. I forget the, yeah, it's one of the major um, spinal nerves going into the legs was, had been damaged badly. Yeah. And in theory, he shouldn't have really, really been able to walk. But he got enough... Just from visualizing the pathway, he was able to get some of his function back into the legs. But in terms of coordination, it was terrible. I mean, he was say, he he said that he he wore through. He had steel toe caps. He had steel plates put into this into his shoes, the, the the soles of his shoes, and he was wearing through them in a month from dragging his, from just from dragging his feet. Yeah. But he was on crutches. It was better for him than being in a wheelchair. Okay. And in the course then of of this of wanting to get better, he he just went to every possible type of healer that he could go to you know he went to Mongolian fate healers he went to everyone okay. and he said one of the oddest ones he ever went to was a kinesiology one a mm. kinesiology treatment and he said it was weird because the guy you know his legs were the problem but the guy was touching points in his face and touching points in his chest and he was like hey look the problem's in my foot you know yeah, fix yeah, my yeah, foot yeah. Yeah. but he said an hour and a half after his treatment he got up off the table and he's, he said his whole neurology had been rewired. He was able to walk in a way he had not been able to walk before. And he thought, he's a scientist, right? He knew that, as far as science is concerned, what had happened was impossible. Okay. But it had just happened to him. When so, was this? What, when back was in the 80s. In the 80s. Mid-80s, okay. yeah. Okay. So in 19... Yeah, I forget exactly, but it was mm. the early to mid-80s. And then he thought, well, if this has happened, and I'm a scientist... and Sure, that there's just more information that science just doesn't know about. Yeah. Science is just incomplete. There's nothing wrong with science, but his his view was it's just not a complete picture. Mm. There's more going on than just than science has. Yeah, yeah. So what is it? So he asked the kinesiologist, "What the hell did you just do?" He's like, "I don't really know." You know, and most kinesiologists, if you spoke to them, wouldn't really know. And back then, most people didn't really understand what was happening. In the same way that most people wouldn't be able to tell you now what acupuncture does or how it works, even if you were an acupuncturist. Because it's, it's, it's not something that's easy to understand. So he says as well, like on a Wednesday he got his treatment and on a Friday he'd enrolled to do a kinesiology course. course okay. and he went to Arizona and studied under Richard Ott. And Richard Ott was an, a genius that had a, applied himself to kinesiology following on from Goodhart. And uh, he 
had devised some new systems and new new ideas that really pushed um, kinesiology what forward. What was his background? He was actually an electronic engineer in, in aviation. So he was very, very, very smart. And he was able to um, sort of use like electronic mapping systems and apply them to the body okay. in a sort of a, like almost a grid-like fashion. You know, he, was able, he had that kind of brain where he could separate it all out and go... You know, if when the, this happens, this yeah, when it exactly. yeah, yeah, cause an effect in in a, in a mechanical system, but in but using as many possible modes as you could to okay. understand it. For example, like acup- the, the acupuncture system. Mm. So, uh, studying under Ott, then he he went on and learned everything that Richard Ott was teaching, and then he devised because he's a genius. He went off and devised some of his own systems, and over the course of a few years, came up with. LEAP, which stands for the Learning Enhancement Acupressure Program, mm. which is, if you look up I, it's integrated learning. So if you look up i-leap.org, you'll see his website. Okay. And there's a brilliant article in there uh, which discusses uh, at an, academ- an academic study on the effects of acupressure on the brain. And uh, so, like, you know, you can, there's, from MRI scans, you can see the effects that the acupressure actually does have on your brain. Okay. So, so scientifically, it's becoming validated, and um, that's his area of interest because he's like he's a scientist. He needs to know why this is working, how this is working, what's happening at a at a scientific level, and he has the capacity to do the correct type of research, okay. which is what he's now doing with that associate professor in Harvard. Um, but he also teaches and he also practices as a kinesiologist. But but uh, one of the things that he was he actually just before I said that. What, what Richard Ott devised was probably the biggest contribution to the area of kinesiology that's ever been done, which, was called, which is called acupressure formatting. And acupressure formatting is, uh, when you put in acupuncture needles, say somebody comes to you with an issue, what the acupuncturist is trying to figure out is, look, it's all about energy moving through the system, right? So energy moving through the body. So... At an energetic level, if you have a problem, what is the problem energetically, right? So, say for something like depression, if, if an acupuncturist hears someone mention depression, usually, not always, but usually, they look at something called liver chi stagnation or liver energy stagnation. And all the, the, the way the Chinese look at it is, is the energy is supposed to flow throughout the course of a day from one meridian into the next and the next and then until, you go, until your day is over and then it starts again. And it goes cyclically. But if you get into a, a mood of depression, they just say that the way they look at it is your energy is stuck in your liver. And it's staying stuck there. And what you need to do is that the, if you can get a really good analysis of the person, because it will be individualistic, you'll know the needles, where to put them in to stimulate the energy flow from the liver to get it to move on, to get you back to where your, your balanced state of health is. And, uh, Why the liver? The liver is a transformer in terms of energy. In Chinese medicine, they're like it, it's a transformative. It has a transforming power. It's a very you know, it's just it's just a specific type of energy. Mm. So if you get depressed, then you're not able to transform a specific type of energy into action, mm. into movement, or into whatever it is. It just gets stuck. So that the liver is in charge of certain types of energy, and then the spleen is in charge of another type, and kidneys, and and there's emotions tied into each one. I mean. Uh, you could talk all day about the yeah. system. It's extremely in-depth. It's a whole other... It's a whole other venue. But what, what kinesiology is able to do, 
is it's able to use the Chinese system, which is incredibly in-depth. And there's, I mean, there's thousands of years of research there. And it can use it, it can use that system, but use kinesiology techniques to find out what's the best thing to do to get the energy to flow from the, uh, we'll say, the block liver energy. What does your body need most to get that to become unstuck? But in acupressure formatting, what you're doing is you're, it's like you're able to put in five needles at a time and then assess the body and say, okay, we've put in these five needles. Now, is that all the body needs to get this problem resolved? And you can do a muscle check to see whether it's happy or not. And then you go on from there. And, and if you need more, you need more. But um, what they've developed from since the 1980s, and Charles Krebs was instrumental in this, uh, he developed uh, air, acupressure formatting to affect the brain, specifically on the brain. And um, so what he discovered was that people with learning difficulties usually had a brain integrative problem. So you have one half of the brain and the other half of the brain, but in between there's connective pathways. Mm. And if those connective pathways aren't firing properly, then uh, then you've got a problem. Like we know now from brain from neuroscience that when when something happens in the brain, like when when even for when you're looking at something, your auditory system fires. So if you're just looking at a tree, you would think that you look at a tree. The, vision, the, the, the image of the tree comes into your eye and goes into that part of your brain that controls vision. But actually what goes on as well as that is that there's an auditory signal that also fires at the same time. And there's an integrative pathway in between them that links the two. Okay. So um, if that integrative pathway isn't working properly, then you have a problem learning. And the example that Charles Krebs gives, say if there's a child... Um, trying to read something on a on a blackboard, or a, or a teacher writes something on a blackboard, okay, and it's like, you know, the board had a blah blah blah. You you there's a sentence on the blackboard, and you have to write it down in class, mm. and you're writing it down. While you're writing it down, the teacher says, "Bring in your maths books tomorrow because I want you to do an exam." Okay. And the fo- the following day, Johnny forgets his maths book because, and the teacher gives out to him for it, but he's like, "I never even heard you saying it." And what happens there is that when the child is focused on what on looking at the words, even though if you had, if you gave him an, uh, a sound test, if you tested his hearing, it would be perfect. You know, he'd hear beep boop boop. Yeah. He'd hear all those sounds, right? But because the integrative pathway isn't working, when he's looking at something to to write it down, and you say something, all he's hearing is he's not actually hearing the words because to focus on looking at the something the brain can't multitask like it, it should yeah exactly mm. so like that's something that an awful lot of people would have mm. and the extent to which you have it may or may not go unnoticed do you know? and you might have got a slap in school no yeah could you just be that guy that's never job. paying attention yeah, you know and yeah. like that's only one example there can be loads of different examples that, that where that occurs in the brain yeah. and it leads to what looks like inattentiveness yeah. It looks like some guy's daydreaming all the time or he's like never paying attention, never seems to be taking his books out when everyone else is taking. It's because he's not hearing what's going on when he's looking at something else. And um, and that's really, really common. And like Charles Krebs can take, like he can take somebody who's got really, really low literary, literary skills, who's obviously intelligent. Like you'll often be dealing with people who are quite intelligent who are just going, who teachers and psychologists are going, I don't know what's wrong with this kid. We can't seem to fix him. He can take them, put them on a three-week intensive program 
through leap and literally transform how they learn. Yeah, because you were telling me an example of that not so long ago, weren't you? I can't remember exactly what it was, though, but... Was it my own one? No, something Charles Gribbs had done. Um, Maybe you just mentioned that, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was probably just a kid that he worked on. Yeah. So, like, he when he came up with leap... He approached, um, I think it was maybe like learning psychologists in a specific school. Mm. And he said, look, I can do this stuff. And one woman just said, okay, look, I'll tell you what. She was kind of reticent, you know, because it sounds unusual, you know. Mm. So she said to him, look, I'll give you, um, um, I'll give you my worst case kid. You know, we got three years work on this kid and we can't make any progress. Mm. His reading is at like 10% where it should be you know he's, he's, he's getting F's he's really really bad at reading he's got you know he can't his movement is off he's uncoordinated and he's loads of learning problems but when you sit down and talk to him you can see he's smart yeah, yeah. so there's just she's like baffled three weeks later he worked on the kid and worked on the kid and then beyond the three weeks like the leap program stuff is, is allowing the reintegration to, to occur but then you need to actually reteach the kid some stuff so he's, he incorporates that into the system Three weeks later, he brings the kid back to uh, the psychologist, and she said, "You, you, you haven't given me the same. Like you've given me a different child. Like this child is completely and utterly different in terms of how we can learn. It's, it's. She's never. She couldn't get over it. And this is something that he's able to do. In, like in in one hour, you can make massive changes. You know, it's too simple almost. You know, but I suppose he's been doing it long enough now, and he's got the scientific weight to be able to." Uh, get the credit for it yeah. and so yeah it's yeah. he seems to be at a huge a super level of it, but bringing it back to yourself yeah you can just learn how you can learn the protocols of what he does yeah and that's what I did yeah. and I mean I'm not him you know, I'm not a genius I'm not a genius academic yeah. but uh, I've seen I've seen it affect me yeah. for a start and then I thought okay I need to get my hands on this this is amazing stuff yeah. and um, they've put together courses so that you know Joe Soap a lay person can come along and learn the protocols, learn the procedures, mm. and it's quite. It comes across as, as quite a safe treatment as well, though you know. Yeah, it is very safe. Yeah, there's no like you're not going oh take this medicine. Yeah, there's motion. no needles either. There's no needles. No, you very rarely. Certainly, people shouldn't fear going in. It's just like. Yeah, yeah, it's very gentle. It's non. What did they say? Non-invasive. You know, you yeah. don't have to. You can just lie there with your clothes on. Lie there. Yeah, yeah. You test one muscle throughout the whole course of the treatment. You might have to put a few other muscles into into test positions but it's not a physical strength position it's just like how does your leg feel in this position can you hold it comfortably or not and if it's not then you just got you have information to deal with it seems that um, off you go it's probably well you believe it would have a profound effect on like emotional health and mental health you know yeah and I was just looking at your website and you know like five of your blogs you were saying that you know it helps with panic attacks confidence Mm. motivation anxiety and depression yeah um, it's very good for me. Would this life. be like from 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 what you've experienced and who you've treated? Would would these be the main issues that would have been that would have confronted you? Um, so far, yeah. Mm. Like you can tackle. You see, the best way to look at it is look at it in terms of stress, mm. right? So stress can be on nearly any level. It can be physical in this form of pain. Mm. It can be mental in the form of mental anguish, anxiety, depression. All those things are mental states. Or it can be emotional where you have you know, anger management issues or you have grief or you have all sorts of things. When, when you get any of those things going on, you have, a, you have an overload of something going on in the brain. Mm. 
are in the body, you know, but usually like a lot of the stuff is the control centers in the, are in the brain, even yeah. for pain in your leg, it's actually going on in your brain. So what you can do with kinesiology is you can locate, that's the key really, is you can locate where in the body the pain is mm. or the stress is. And the first thing to do is to establish what's going on with the person. What do they, what, where are they, where do they have a problem? Yeah. Where is the stress? What is the stress? You know, so with mental health, in terms of mental health, especially like if you, if you come in and you like, sometimes people are just confused. They're like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I'm stressed yeah, off yeah, my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can't figure it out. And not being able to figure it out is, is usually about context. Mm. Um, so say for something like, like I wrote a, bro- a blog recently on motivation, mm. right? And, um, motivation is funny like motivation is so simple right you want to do something so you should just be able to go and do it but for whatever reason something is stopping you it's the something that's what you need to get your hands on if you can find out the something without having to go through like 10 years of psychotherapy or and i'm not knocking psychotherapy it's phenomenally important and and useful but what kinesiology can do is just go bang we have it this is the this is the essence of what's causing your problem this attitude or this value is you're not safe to express it like kinesiology you can figure out what values you have Mm. or what emotion is triggering all this stuff and say for example i worked on one girl in terms of motivation i worked on one girl who had an issue with she couldn't express the value of um what was it specifically about um maintaining her boundaries you know she didn't feel safe she felt vulnerable all the time right okay. the value was i can't stand up for myself or if you can't express the value i can stand up for myself right that's like a value mm. if you can't express that you've got a major conflict because if you can't then you feel constantly vulnerable if you have that at a, at a, a somehow that kicked in in her psychology mm. at a very young age usually like these things if it, it's a young forward, age because yeah. so it becomes emotionally charged and therefore sub and subconscious mm. And they're and phenomenally irrational. So you can be as mature as, as you like, and you can be a, a, you know a great person, very mature. But you're you're dealing with something that is not that. Yeah. You you can you're trying to convince yourself to do something that's that your a part of your brain believes is not safe. Yeah. You know. So you, your subconscious, your brain, the priority for because of the way our brains have evolved over thousands of years your priority is always going to be to protect you your survival is the most important thing you've learned it at a base level yeah and and like primitive drivers in the brain control most of what you do at a subconscious level like the things that stop you from walking out in front of a car and and, Mm. and traffic Mm. these are subconscious yeah the reptile brain it's the bit of you that's always alert to danger Mm. and if that thing gets very base it's very it's very primal and you need to have it or we'd all be dead the fire's yeah, so yeah. like, yeah, for example, like somebody, you know, you, you, I don't know, something comes flying at your face and it could be, it could be anything. Mm. It might be a paper airplane, but for a split second, you don't know what it is. So what happens is your body reacts before your rationale does yeah. in order to protect you. But what happens in the brain if you're a kid is, especially when you're young, say you get a fright. You learn these things at a very young age. It stimulates fear mm. and then it stimulates that fight and flight response. So at a later stage, you see a scenario that mimicked the scenario that happened first day that frightened you, it'll always fire. It'll all and it'll keep doing it and keep doing it. And no matter how rational you are, you can't you can't work against that because that's there as a priority to protect you. Okay. 
that's the key that's the key to nearly any to understanding nearly any anxiety or depression it's like you just don't know what the hell is going on and kinesiology can actually get in go there. in and turn it down turn it off or turn it off down. preferably turn yeah. it off put it in the box and throw it out the window whatever like whatever you need to do you need to dial the down you need to dial it down and usually what you need to do is just dial down the emotional charge around it mm. like you can't like I often say to people you can't get rid of your history yeah but you can just get rid of your emotional attachment to your history. Yeah. Or you can dial down the emotional charge around your past. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's easy too. It's not hard. Like you, All you have to do is locate it, find it using the kinesiology techniques and go, okay, look, this, 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 and this are all factors. Yeah. In this part of your brain, in the amygdala part of your brain, which is your reptilian brain, when you, when you think about this element, mm. all this stuff fires. You go into survival mode. And therefore, that's why you get a panic attack. Yeah. So let's turn it and down. The same would be true for like anxiety and depression. Yeah. Well, anxiety, anxiety is a funny one. Anxiety is like, um, oh, I heard a really good description of it. It's like fear over, um, it's unjustifiable fear over something you don't even understand. It's a, it's a future fear. Yeah. You're afraid of something that may it's happen. It's like worry, you know, someone described worry as like a negative use of your imagination. Mm. You're like imagining scenarios that, could happen or yeah and it's it's based on the it's based on the future yeah of something that isn't real yet Mm. so you're afraid of something that may happen you know but that's based on something that did happen yeah so none of this stuff is like there's nothing wrong with you it's actually your brain is serving you really well Mm. because you have an experience yeah your brain is actually quite healthy oh it's It's just going look it's very very smart this is what i've learned i do do. if in case this ever happens again you need to be ready to run store this (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah, exactly and until you like the process of becoming more mature is 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 uh, learning to integrate those things into your life. Mm. And for me, kinesiology has been the 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 kind of the most effective way of doing it, the fastest way, the most sort of clear way. But I suppose you know, and if you tackle these issues, you can have much better physical health as well. Yeah, way know, if you have anxiety or if you know what I mean, it's in your stomach, you're nervous a lot, and mm. then who knows what happens? You know, like. Mm. You know, like there's so many cases of, of like um, stomach and bowel problems. Yeah, yeah. Even from from who I know, you know, with Crohn's disease and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that very common. Yeah, very, very. And common. modern day, modern day diseases, stress, like it's the stress killer. Like it's it's, yeah. it's like everything nowadays is stress related because we're all stressed. Yeah. We're living lives that we're not really meant to be living a lot of the time. Some people are really lucky. Like, um, I was saying to somebody recently. A lot of people, like, say if you grew up in sc- and you're able to go to school and school was great, mm. say, I mean, if you were lucky enough to be a 36-year-old man now mm. who was able to go to school, enjoyed school, had two very healthy and mature and balanced parents, you're able to go through life where you enjoy school, you've, your brain works happy enough, and you go on and you do a job that you actually enjoy, mm. your life has been a doddle. Yeah. But if you have had a couple of things, like, stuff to deal with first, like your parents might have been half mad or roaring and shouting at each other, who knows, like... Or a parent could have left or, you know... Yeah, anything. But all those things will affect you on some level, right? And especially between naught and three, if stuff happens between that time in your life, then you you won't necessarily understand it, Mm. you know? But you've just learned how to deal with... This is how I deal with this situation. Yeah. And then your brain goes, okay. And you make make adaptations to the way you actually want to be Mm. in order to survive a, a stressful situation. Yeah. So, like, you're born a certain way, right? You've genetic. You've a kind of a genetic blueprint. You're like, there we go. That's Kieran. That's the way he is. Yeah. So then you're like, this is Kieran. And if you were nurtured then by your parents and by your school, 
they'd, they'd say, oh, look, he's this way. Let's yeah. put him over here. And the school's going, oh, yeah, he's definitely like, he's definitely this way. Let's put him over here. Yeah. Then, sure, no bother. Really by the time it comes, yeah, by yeah. the time it comes around to taking a job, you're like, ah, oh, Kieran, would you like to do this? You're like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Off you go. Great, happy life. Mm. Granted, you might have traumas in the middle, but it, or from that point on, but as long as you're nurtured as you go along, nurtured in the sense that you were just allowed to be the way you wanted to be. Mm. But a lot of the time what happens is life gets in the way. So you're like, between not and three or between not and seven, something happens like bullying in school or anything. It could be, you know, it could be surgery when you're a kid. It could be having your tonsils out. It could be anything. Those things can interrupt your sense of what's safe. Of what's safe yeah. And so to cope with those things, if you don't understand why those things are going on at the time, you, you have to make adaptations in order to cope. And uh, those adaptations um, are a compromise to the way you actually want to be. Yeah. And the problem in adulthood is, if you don't, if you haven't changed, gone, if you've maintained those compromises, you end up sick. Do you reckon sort of like a lot of mental health issues, like you know, anxiety, depression, mm. would have been learned at that young age? You know, that they, that we'd have nurtured them from a young age ourselves. Usually, yeah. Usually, yeah. I mean, it's rare that um, a very healthy person who's balanced throughout their childhood and their their teenage life is reasonably okay gets into gets to a point where they get really bad panic attacks yeah you know like a panic attack is like being completely overwhelmed by anxiety yeah. you know it's like an extreme version of of anxiety and it's it's just because you you ask a person how to get a panic attack they have no idea why they're getting them. it's amazing that the brain can make your body go wait a minute you know they can yeah there's so much fear in there yeah. that like you're trying like what's happening is you're trying to be a certain way mm. you're like rationally you're going i just want to go over here do this job and live this type of life. But your body is going. Your body's going. No, no don't do. Don't go near that. That's dangerous. That's scary. Let's stop that. You know, and it will stop you. And you'll give, it'll give you a panic attack, and you will not win. And like the most powerfully, powerfully willed person in the world won't win. Like you can't beat that. It's like it's like trying to convince a frightened dog yeah. to not be scared of you. It's not going to happen. And every time it sees a stick, it's going to be terrified. Yeah. That dog needs help, you know. And you've got one of them in your head. <laughs> dog needs help. You know, the dog needs help. Maybe that'll be my logo. Are we getting more mature about mental health in Ireland, Tony? Definitely. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's the best thing that's happened in the last, oh, I don't know how long. Yeah. It, it, Ireland needs it. Yeah. Um, but even when you see the likes of, you know, I was thinking there, Alan Quinlan. Yeah. He spoke candidly Brilliant. about having depression, you know. Yeah. fantastic. And what, Don Lowe Cusack. Don Lowe, what a hero. Yeah. Don Lowe, oh, what a hero. Like, Don yeah. Lowe Cusack. If he's, if he's ever listened to this, Donald, you're my hero. Well done. And, but no, his brother as well. Remember, he yeah. came out and said, you know, he suffered from huge levels of depression. Huge depression, yeah. yeah. And it's great because, I mean, you know, mental health was, is, still is taboo in Ireland. It but is. But it's because now... I describe it as coming out of the mental health closet. You yeah, know? absolutely. You're like, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 Totally. I speak from experience. Like, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's not something that people would be comfortable even now talking about and certainly if you go to our parents generation yeah. try to talk to them about mental health they won't want to talk about it because you got to remember man 50 years ago in Ireland if you had a mental health issue you, you risked being institutionalised yeah. it was easy to get per, a person put away know, into yeah. an institution and they might never have come out and Ireland like if you ever want to understand why you might have mental health issues if you're living in Ireland or you, and you were brought up in Ireland the weight of, of the history of Ireland since the famine, the things that have happened in Ireland in terms of the social psy psyche, mm. oh, the, the harm 
that's there and yeah. the 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 real traumas that that our society an has, has, has an oppressed society like yeah like, and and loads of levels you know yeah. like you know we've learned that through our years you know and we still carry it through yeah i mean you the famine wasn't like we were talking there about you know you go back your grandfather's father you know that's not that long ago mm. the famine happened you know yeah. five million people either died or left the country yeah place was banjacks desolate can you imagine the sorrow yeah. in the women of ireland that followed that yeah for generations families in general like you know yeah sons and daughters then you had, na- you had the 1916 rising followed by a civil war followed by absolute pretty much poverty and then the church gets huge yeah church domin- control yeah. total control and yeah. absolute abuse you know so like 2014 ireland is really only starting to come to terms with all of its own traumas and I think uh, at, a, at a broader scale the the sort of there's sort of a general therapy going on people and that's why it need, need, mental health is definitely coming out now because Ireland's ready for it yeah. it's ready to mature do you know which is great it's man. brilliant it badly needed it's about bloody time it's about time it is yeah. um, sing hallelujah to that I'm glad I'm, I think for me I'm lucky to be I'm really happy to be part of, of that culture. I mean, everybody is in a way, but I'm glad that I can make a contribution. Kinesiology, you've huge faith in it that it can help a lot of people. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. From my own perspective, I understood, I, I came to understand things about myself that I could never have figured out any other way. Mm. You know, um, like, it sounds hard to imagine, but like, through kinesiology, I figured out that, you know, I had my tonsils out when I was two. Yeah. And I don't remember that. I have a vague memory of being around two and a half, which is the age my son is now, mm. of kind of being in the hospital mm. and knowing that I didn't want to be there and I was upset. Yeah. But I know that, like, uh, I, I know from talking to my mom that after the I, I had my tonsils out, I basically wouldn't let her out of my sight. If she left my sight, I'd, I'd go ballistic. Really? Yeah, I was because I had been totally and utterly terrified by what had happened. Because what had happened, A, was that back then... If a child was put into hospital, uh, the parents weren't allowed to stay with them. I remember so, it myself because I had my tonsils out and I remember the yeah. panic. When, like, yeah, if you remember the panic, then there were, you go. They were pretending to stay like two doors And, and the nurses that time would tell the parents, look, he's only crying now because you're here. As soon as you go away, now he'll be grand. Yeah. But now they know from research that a child that, that cries and cries and cries until they become silent, yeah. the silence is like the worst part. They, that, they're getting into a kind of a self-comfort then and they're basically... Traumatized. Following it's that, crazy, isn't it? Oh, it's insane. But look, they didn't know anybody. They didn't know. You know, nobody tried to harm people that time. No. But I think maybe that back then, like I know, I know that my mother instinctually knew, instinctively knew she didn't want to leave me there. Yeah. And any any mother, any mother, any mother would, would yeah, like. Yeah. But no, you can't. No, you have to stay with them. No, you have to stay, yeah. and that's better. And and another thing as well is that that time I was given an anesthetic, mm. and I know from doing the kinesiology that it was the anesthe- the anesthetic really tripped me up because. I had this like right up into my adulthood, right up into I was twenty seven or eight. Yeah. I was still terrified of. I wouldn't say terrified, but I had like I'd get a f- fear feeling in the pit of my stomach okay. if I thought about eternity. I was like, oh god! I was like, oh man! I don't want to think about it. It was terrifying. I was like really like kind of irrational. Yes and no. It wasn't irrational to me. Yeah. Like, because somebody would... Like, I remember even trying to explain it to my dad and it was like trying to have philosophical conversations about But it would have appeared irrational to him if he'd probably go, why the hell is he Yeah, because I'd say, you're not afraid of dying. And my, my father said, no, I'm not afraid of dying at all. Yeah. And I'd go, I was terrified of it. And I wasn't afraid of dying 
even the dying. It was being dead after being dead, what that meant. Because in, it wasn't until I went to that kinesiologist, she asked me, what, what do you, what's going to happen when you're dead? What do you think it's going to be? And I said, it's like being in a vacuum. There's no up or down. There's no left and right. There's no feeling, touch, sound, smell. It's not like being in space where there's stars. Yeah, it's nothing. absolutely nothing. The concept of nothingness. And what she said to me was, and I just had that as a belief. I believed that's that's a probable reality. It's very hopeless, like isn't it? Yeah, but imagine being conscious in that space yeah. for eternity. <laughs> no, I can't. Well, that's what I had in my head. Oof. I thought that was what eternity was. I had, a be- I believed that that's what eternity was. You, so I was terrified. Do you think of it was because of the anesthetic, or you? Well, I know definitely from doing the kinesiology. She said because she said to me like, the only reason that you would have a belief system like that, that you would believe something like that, is from an experience. Yeah, you would have learned it. Yeah, yeah. you would lear- You learned that. You learn that fear. And uh, from doing the kinesiology into that part of the brain and into that part of the mind and doing that, yeah. we found out that, bang, bingo, anesthetic. Bingo, that's when you got it. I that's when the fear, she was able to show me when the fear started. And it was right around, it was right at that time that I had the anesthetic. And when you learned it, did it put your mind at ease a little bit? About oh, it? totally. Yeah. Sure, it's completely changed my view of death. Yeah, It completely changed my view of, because of, uh, she said something really funny. At the time she said to me, and I already knew this in physics. Mm. Energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It, it only can transform from one form to another. Yeah. And that was grand. I knew that in theory, but that's, but I didn't believe it, actually. Yeah. So now I'm like, look, irrespective of what you think about what happens when you die, mm. the energy that you had when you were dead doesn't go away. It's still energetic. Like, yeah. So I think I had a fear of being trapped forever as a conscious being not being able to move in an eternity of a vacuum. That is absolutely terrifying. So black, so hopeless. Totally and utterly hopeless. And terrifying. And no wonder I couldn't let my mother out of my side. I was fucking traumatised. Totally and utterly traumatised. And, you know, going all the way up through... And that affected me on a profound level all the way through my childhood. it must have been like a, a breath of fresh air when you kind of... Oh, the relief. And do you know what? Was it, was it something as powerful as like that that kind of made you go, you know what, I might... No, it kicked in. It took a while. It took a long... It took maybe six months to a year before the effects of finding that out kind of integrated themselves into how I just behaved. Yeah. You know, I just my fear of the afterlife, my fear of... A very unnecessary anxiety, isn't it? You know, oh, my God. Dominating how you lived. Mm. And it had a massive effect on... And like, it... Because... I was frozen, you know, I was, I was stuck, I couldn't get beyond it. So all my thinking and all my, an awful lot of my energy and my, and my thoughts mm. were going into trying to understand this idea of eternity, this idea that yeah. I believed, that I, I, was, I was so preoccupied, I was like, surely there are bigger an- there's a better answer than this. And even though I read a load of stuff from, you know, the spiritual leaders and the Dalai Lama and, you know, all the books that are out there, None of them resolved that for me. None of them were able to give me that answer. You know, none of them were able to say, well, you know, they were able to say, in theory, this is what happens when you die, but nobody can tell you for sure. Yeah. But I had an, ex- I had, I didn't realize that I had an, an experience of something that wasn't actually necessarily what it is to be dead. Yeah. I yeah. was actually, because she said to me, this is what it I learned is. it. She said to me, did somebody put you in a fridge? You know, and I started really? laughing. I was like, what do you mean? Because I didn't realize well, that time there was an experience. Out. She was okay. like, how did you get it? How did you get this belief? And I was like, what are you talking about? That's just what I think about. My argument was, well, that's just what I think about eternity. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, no, 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 no. There's, there's too much fear going on here. You know, let's see, wh- why do you have this amount of sheer terror 
over this she's like this is an experience let's look into it and then because it just was completely unnatural it didn't make sense yeah. nobody would be born with that why would you be born with that level of terror it doesn't make any sense you know I thought I was born with this belief yeah but I had an experience so, that so gave heavy. me that belief it's so heavy oh my god it's as heavy as it could get so it heavy it totally and utterly destroyed I wouldn't say it destroyed my thinking it, it created a lot of my thinking actually yeah. it made me look at everything I was constantly trying to get answers bigger picture to understand the bigger mm. picture like is there something after death what is it I couldn't find any references anywhere of people experiencing this it was a type of hell but I couldn't even find it that must have been a big moment in terms of like a, you know f- did, did it did it inspire you on any level the to go biggest the kinesiology mo- thing this is uh, oh yeah, yeah Jesus like on? once I once I re- see what I realised there was like oh oh my god I had an experience that gave me this mm. this isn't necessarily reality because yeah. I had a belief that this was just real this was reality then I was like this isn't necessarily reality yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not held by this anymore boom you're free from something massive I was totally and utterly caught in that like I couldn't get rid of it and then all of a sudden it's gone yeah. it's the hold on, on me is gone I have no more fear about dying because I was fear, afraid of dying because of that if that's what dying is yeah. I don't want to I don't yeah, want to yeah, yeah, yeah. go in there you know yeah yeah keep my brain alive because please. if you think Science. about it like what what anaesthetists will tell you is they don't understand what happens when they anaesthetize yeah, you were the brain. Yeah, before actually. It's like, they, yeah, they don't. They, 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 don't they, they know science. that it works, but they don't know how it works. Mm. But, but what they do know, a lot of in, in Australia, they're brilliant. If a kid's going to get anaesthetized, they tell the child first, "You're going to get an anaesthetic. You're going to be asleep. You'll be fine, and, when, and then you'll come around." Mm. But what happened? And uh, and as an adult, if you get anaesthetized, yeah, you you know consciously that you're going to get an anaesthetic. I was two. Nobody told me anything. I got injected, and then bang. I was in this space. I couldn't move. There's a, you're not dead when you get anaesthetized. A part of your brain is aware of what's going on. And if that part of your brain hasn't been told what's going to happen, terror. So you learned it on a Can you imagine if you'd been ab- abducted or something and mm. somebody anaesthetized you and you and then you go, you woke up the following day or two plus days later? Plus, yeah, you don't know. You, don't, you didn't know if it was going to end. Exactly. I didn't know. I had no idea what was going on except that one part of my brain was in there awake going, I can't move. This is my reality now. This is reality. Whoa. This is this is something that's real. Man, that's a huge learning. Yeah. Oh, it? colossal. And I would never have found that out without kinesiology. I'd never have figured it out. Ever. How would I? You know, how, how would you get to there? I mean, I'd already done, at that stage, about 10 years of consistent meditation to try to figure out what the hell was wrong with my head. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I couldn't find any other answers. And I don't think... I, I've been to counsellors and therapists and they weren't able to tell me what was going on. That's you know? huge. Massive. It's like, you know, remember that London Real thing, Bruce Parry, he learned, remember through ayahuasca, that he mm. learned that he almost died at childbirth, you know. Oh, he really? threw him back to the mother's womb. He did ayahuasca. Oh, and he got I, don't know, I don't think I've seen that, actually. It's a very good episode. Well, you know, if Bruce Parry, he, he yeah, did that. Quest. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, he found out. Wow. He didn't know, actually. He, he, he took ayahuasca and it led him into this belief that he was choking. He was like... Uh-huh. And it, oh no, he, did it? He, he believed he was in his mother's womb and he was choking, and then he didn't know that he was, you know, that he nearly died at birth. <laughs> but he said it to his mother, and she was like, "Oh yeah, the umbilical cord was wrapped around your throat." Wow! And that's oh, tr- carrying a trauma from that. You can get at that with kinesiology, and I'm sure like ayahuasca is a very it's, dramatic way of getting at oh, it. Oh yeah, terrifying yeah. and heavy, and you'd want to be prepared for that. I mean, not, not, average Joe is not going to do no, that, no, no, you no, know, no. and I wouldn't encourage it. And and I think like hallucinogenic drugs can allow you to get into those spaces, mm. but 
taking their serious repercussions to doing yeah, that to your yeah, brain. Yeah, exactly. You know, you need to know what you're doing. But man, what seems to be important is the fact that you learn why you are feeling the way you are. You mm-hmm. know, you yes. know the way the same medicine as we know it here doesn't seem to be geared toward that. It seems to be like, oh, look, you have this. Mm. Here's yeah. Take this, you know. And yeah. obviously, you know, you go oh, you hear take Prozac or whatever Lexapro and obviously they they can benefit people hugely but yeah. it's kind of just almost like masking it in a sense mm. that you kind of you're not really learning okay yeah yeah why like why why do i feel this way and then you kind of go okay fine you take a pill you feel better and you're like oh i don't have to i'm not thinking about that anymore yeah, yeah. but and that can be great for some people it can if be that's great. all you need and yeah. brilliant go for it. Yeah. you know i wouldn't i wouldn't knock it um but you know there's the the counter argument to that that a lot of therapists would say and a lot of psychiatrists would say is that you, if you don't get some sort of therapy, because if you get depressed and you just take a pill and you don't get any kind of therapy, yeah. the the drivers that originally caused the depression get stronger, stronger, yeah. and and you get you kind of get worse. It's like a virus adapting to a yeah, to a exactly. And you, you need more Prozac, and yeah, you, you know, you need more stuff. And I think the most important thing for me, anyway, like my understanding of generally of mental health in general is, you need to understand your biography to get better so that you can just let go of some of the emotional charges around it Mm. now kinesiology is particularly good in that you can you can actually dial down the emotion it's like dropping some weight you know yeah it's like like letting go of a bag of concrete you know depression you know like it's if you come out of it it's kind of hard to you know to put yourself back in that place and go wow it's just unquestionable weight and sorrow yeah it's hell hell hell, absolute hell and the funny thing is you can't even imagine it if you you, when you come out of it yeah yeah. like I I can't imagine that unbelievable heaviness and sorrow you know it's like it's alien to my thoughts now yeah but yet when you're in it yeah there it is there it is yeah the black dog howling in your head howling I think it's an insult to black dogs to call call it it the black dog it's true (laughs) you know and it's a bit mild mannered even like it's a lot worse than that I think with um no, go on, you were going to ask me a No, I actually, I was just reading notes, just seeing where you go on. Uh, I don't know, I could talk all day about this stuff. But you but know, like, uh, Blind Boy from the Rubber Bandits, you remember mm. he said recently on one of those Truths episodes, back to Russell Brand, you know, that um, it's it's a convenient way of treating mental health to 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 give pills to people because it's it's cheaper. Yes, it is. And that, like, studies have shown that CBT or cognitive behavioural therapy is, mm. is the way to do it, but yeah. it's just... Too far expensive. too expensive and far too too much hassle or a yeah. way a drain on the system, you know. Yeah. But um, it is. It's a lot, a lot more expensive. Yeah, it is. Like, I mean, the problem with something like cognitive behavioral therapy, and it is phenomenally po- powerful, but it can take a long time. Actually, with a very interesting point that somebody made recently. Do you know um, Daniel O'Donnell's wife? Mm. She has can- she had cancer and she was taking ke- she was on chemotherapy for bre- I think it was breast cancer. I'm pretty sure, and uh, she also has had very serious bouts of depression throughout her life yeah, and she yeah. said she would take chemotherapy the, the, she would take chemotherapy any day mm. before depression that's, that that's says big. a lot you talk to anybody that's ever had chemotherapy they're like it's hell on earth but she said compared to depression because at least with chemotherapy she said she knew what it was yeah with, with yeah. depression she couldn't even she's it's, like it's, you can't even tell people you know it's such a confusing space no oh, it's hellish There's no idea you can't justify it mm. you're, you're there you're an adult you're capable of doing stuff you're able to work, you're able to do all these things, and then all of a sudden, the cloud, somebody yeah. turns the lights you're off. You're afraid to leave your house you're or something. Banjaxed. Banjaxed. Yeah. 
Yeah, shaking, sweating, you can't talk to people. <laughs> it's incredibly it's, awful. It's, like. it's terrible, man. Yeah, it is. But like a, a big pharma, you know, it's kind of, why is that control there, you know? Why is, why is it that pills seem to be the answer, you know? Do you think pharmaceutical companies... Well, you could get it. I mean, you could say that. I mean, obviously, look, there's no debating that pharmaceutical companies are there for making a profit. That's mm. their out, That's their goal. Yeah. They are there to make it's money. It's like any business. It's just like any big business. Mm. And it is huge business, right? But that shouldn't negate the fact that certain uh, antidepressants are, and, and mental health medication is phenomenally effective for exactly. some people. Yeah, yeah. And it's extremely important that that development has, has been there. Mm. And it has helped take away the weight of suffering of so many people that you could never really knock it yeah you know? yeah and i think for a lot of it, there's a danger that uh, people in complementary therapies or alternative therapies or holistic medicine or whatever you want to call it that sector uh, don't incorporate those ideas into mm. their anti-medicine mm. and i think that's crazy I think if you're going to be holistic, include everything. Include everything. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. you know if, a, if a person comes to you and they're seriously in trouble and you think, you know, you're either an acupuncturist or you're a counsellor or you're any kind of... And if the person comes to you and you can see that this person's in serious trouble, send them to a psychiatrist. Yeah. You know, that's where they should go first. If the person is like... If 10 out of 10 is feeling as good as you can and zero is suicidal thoughts or actually thinking about suicide and the person's at three, then they need serious intervention. Yeah. They need medication fast to yeah. balance their biochemistry first. Yeah, yeah. Then you can start the therapeutic processes. Mm, mm. Then you can back it up with kinesiology, with whatever else is going out there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the first thing the person needs to do is become stable biochemically. Yeah. And that's where medication comes in. Yeah. I think an awful lot of... What saved a lot of people. Saved thousands of mm. people. Can you imagine, like, after the war? Like, that's what... Like, wars have driven an awful lot of where, where mes- medicine has evolved. Mm. And in World War... After World War Two, and especially, I think, after World War One was it? Or after World War Two? It was after World War Two in England. They had so many people with post-traumatic stress that were lads our age that were no longer able to function in society. They're like, we've got to do something about yeah, this, you know? Yeah. So, you like, you, you start... All these new therapies started but in conjunction with, with drugs. And I think that's a fair reflection of Western society. We don't have a meditative background. We don't have a culture of maintaining health from zero. We don't have a doctor that's keeping an eye on our kids that's giving you an assessment of your child has a tendency to be this way. Yeah. Balance that out with good exercise and this type of food and avoid this and that. That's the way Chinese medicine is supposed to work. Okay. That's the way you know the holistic approach is supposed to work. We don't have that. Constantly serve. serve yeah, you, you like in the, the classical Chinese culture was you keep an eye on a child from the day they're born and you go, look, he's got these tendencies. This is the way he'll tend to be. So to keep him on track, just, keep, just do these. Do these things yeah. and bring him back to me once every six months and we we'll make sure. Preventative. It's preventative. Yeah. Our medicine comes from, is, a lot of it is driven by emergency, mm. by war. So we're the best in the world at broken legs, mm. bullet holes, anything that requires serious surgery you will not get better than the western world like that's what we've we're best at yeah and which is which is a good thing as well of course it's a good thing it's phenomenal sure we'd all be banjacks i'd I'd be dead anyway because i had an appendix out it would have burst and i'd been poisoned and dead so you know if we didn't have the the surgery skills to fix all those things we'd have half the planet be gone you know but what's happening now i think is great there's an integration between preventative medicine Mm. and western medicine and it's bridging the two is 
great for everybody. And that's where you are. That's where you'd like to be. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you've, you need your hospital, you need your GP, mm. you need your doctor, you, t- you know, and you need other your stuff. Physio, your chiropractor. Yeah, you need all those doctor. things. You need, And you need to be looking after yourself, you know. And I think culturally what's happening now, people are starting to look at, okay, you know, I need to maintain my health. That wasn't the part of our culture when we grew up in the 80s in Ireland. Like, health has come in in the last 20 years. You know, yeah. gyms, fitness, general fitness, yeah. stretching. Look at the growth of yoga. Yeah. I mean, that's not just about health. It's about spiritual health yeah. as much as anything else, yeah. which is filling in the vacuum of that the church is left behind because people can't really pray anymore, so they chant. It's mm. the same thing. You know, they're just filling in that vacuum. Yeah. It's because people want it. You know, you yeah. want to be connected to something, the bigger picture, and yoga is providing what the church can no longer provide. Yeah. That's a great thing. Some sort of spiritual cleansing. Yeah, well, just the spiritual connection. Mm. Do you know, a belief in something bigger than you going on, which most people have, you know. So, Tony, Corkinesiology. All good things. Yeah, it's great. Corkinesiology.com. Dot com. Yeah. If you have mental, for your mental, emotional and physical health. We should end it there. Good man, Tony. Cheers for calling over. (laughs) Thanks, Kieran. Bye-bye. Good talking to you.